Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robin's on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Before we start this week's podcast, a big thank you to ELM Legal Services, who are based in Bristol and provide will writing and estate planning services across the UK. You can get a standard single will for £99. If you'd like to get in touch, call them 0800 019 Welcome along to Robins on the Wild with myself, Michelle Owen. Greg McGregor is here as usual and we're joined as well by Adam Baker for today's episode. We'll be talking about that brilliant emphatic win against Blackburn Rovers. Also talking about the shark song which has infested the Bristol City dressing room. And we'll be hearing from Callum O'Dowder as well about the competition in the squad as he tries to pin down that place on the wing. But first, Adam Baker, as we're joined, we're graced by your presence. We're going to talk transfers because you came on on deadline day and gave us a really interesting insight into what goes on behind the scenes and what your thoughts are, not just as someone that's worked at the club for so long, but now as a fan of what the squad's become. Well, now the loan window has closed. The only thing that could happen is free agents are still floating around, aren't they? But what a signing Thomas Callis could be. Yeah, I think he's probably one of the best signings over the summer. It, it seemed to come quite late and it seemed to come out of nowhere as well, uh, which I know will, will please those inside the club when you can keep a deal as big as that quiet for so long and, and then boom, just announce it like they did. Um, I think the key thing with him and similar to what you know, I was, I was chatting to Gregor about uh, over the transfer window is that he comes with pedigree. He comes with experience in the championship, experience of getting out of the championship the right way um, through promotion. Uh, you know, with, with Fulham, with Middlesbrough, he's had that experience and I think he'll bring almighty amount of experience to the Bristol City backline. Gregor, from what we've seen of him so far, what do you think? We've had a couple of games to watch him now. Seems very assured and he seems to be making Webster a, a better... It feels like he's a better player alongside him. Yeah, class acts, no complaints there at all. And yeah, I, I don't know if you guys uh, obviously saw the game on Sunday and that clearance under his own bar, sort of five minutes before the end of the game, um, class piece of defending there and... Yeah, he's going to make a big difference back there. Nathan Baker, I think, is, is a really good defender, but unfortunately just doesn't play maybe every game, does he? Uh, or you need a plethora of centre-backs, don't you? So, yeah, it's, it's a good signing. Strength in depth really there as well with Bailey White, etc. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll come on good. to perhaps selection headaches now that Lee Johnson is, is going to have, because he talked about it after the game. But, Adam, when that happens, when a loan, window come, uh, a loan signing sorry, comes in, last minute like that how is it kept so under wraps because there wasn't even from an outside perspective there wasn't even a squeak that that I saw yeah I mean what, what you'll find is you know you're both journalists yourself uh, and I've dealt with that as well in in recent times agents are normally the biggest um, source of information mm-hmm. uh, for the media uh, so whether Callas's agent just had a very busy uh, period ahead of the loans, uh, loan market closing, and therefore wasn't getting on to journalists and telling everyone about the deal. I think there was a, a small amount, perhaps on on social media, maybe on Twitter, but in the grand scheme, it didn't hit the mainstream media, um, and that can only be because Bristol City have kept 
the agent probably locked in a room somewhere or, or Ashton Gate and, and just played on with the deal, got it done. Um, you know, you, you can make a stipulation, I suppose, as a, as a club, just to say to the agent, look, if this breaks, we'll, we'll cancel the deal. I, I don't think that would happen uh, with such a, a high-profile name that he is in, in terms of a championship-level club. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a nice thing, I think, for the club. Um, you see so often the club's almost the last place you find out the news uh, officially, obviously, but when it's out there in the paper, it's on radio, it's all over the internet, and then the club has to announce it, there's there's not that climax, is there, of no. the, the deal being done? So that's why I think they would have been so happy that uh, they could announce Callas and everyone went, wow, it's yeah. happened. Yeah. What I found interesting was, um, I think Lee Johnson said, didn't he, that basically there was a lot of competition in for him and it sounded like maybe Callas had to take his time to make a decision about where he was going to play and I'm sure you guys will know well will probably know as well there's other agendas at play isn't there it mm. depends maybe maybe like an, another club wanted him but that falls through because they go for somebody else or maybe they couldn't agree personal terms or something but whatever um, obviously Callas has ended up coming to Ashton Gate and um, yeah great signing and he was the only one that came in if my memory serves me correctly after deadline day the only loan signing is that enough for Bristol City Adam I mean we have no Corey Smith now for the next few months. Did you expect to see a midfielder come in as well? Well, I understand there was some interest in trying to get a midfielder in for whatever reason that didn't happen. Um, so clearly there was a, a desire within the club perhaps to add that extra one in midfield. Um, it now rests really on, on Liam Walsh to step up if he if he has to, if there's an injury to, to Marlon Pack or, Corey, uh, or to um, Josh Brown, sorry, then Liam Walsh is going to have to step up to the plate uh, or you're going to have to probably bring someone like maybe Jamie Patterson into uh, the midfield and mm-hmm. maybe reorganise it slightly. So, yeah, they are a tad light in the middle. Um, but I think one thing about this squad is they're quite adaptable across mm-hmm. the park. You know, you, you can talk about a day to play on left side or right side. Same with Eliasson. Um, so, like I say, with Jamie Patterson, you, you could perhaps see him drop in maybe. Have Either of you heard of any free agents that may come in in the next few weeks at all? No, um, I haven't. Um, but I, I just wanted to add about... I liked what Lee Johnson said to BBC Radio Bristol after Sunday. They they asked him about whether um, any moves, the um, irons in the fire that Jamie McAllister had sort of alluded to on in the pre-Blackburn press conference. And mm. they asked Lee Johnson whether there was anything with those and um, basically Lee said they... He had two targets in mind. They both fell apart. Um, but do, he was, do we know who they were? Well, the two names that were being linked on, on the last day were um, Isaac Hayden of Newcastle and Ryan Gould of um, Sporting. And I don't know for certain whether the, the club was looking at those, but Lee was certainly out in Portugal, wasn't he? Which Yeah, was he went to Portugal with Scotty Murray. Yeah. Um, I think last weekend just for a couple of days, didn't he? So yeah. maybe and there was not just for some the substance. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were just uh, going to have a nice little Sunday, by the sounds of it. So, but, by, but by last weekend, they would have still had a few days to get things done. But Adam, in those situations, as a man that's been behind the scenes in the club, what are normally the sticking factors? Why don't those things happen when they appear to be quite close? In, to, to the point where a member of the coaching staff is sort of willing to comment a little bit. Well, I think, as Gregor alluded to, really, with the Callas one as well, um, you, you take Callas, he could have had three options, but he may have been, potentially, Bristol City may have said, you'll play more here. Um, so it's a case of whether 
Um, the deal is right for the club. The deal is right for the player. Um, if the player doesn't feel he's going to get enough games to, to sign up for Bristol City now, then he may wait. And, you know, If he was a free agent, for example, he might wait. Uh, he might see a better chance at his own club rather than come into Bristol City. Um, or simply personal terms or, or the terms with a, a certain club couldn't be agreed um, to the to the degree that was ready for a loan. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's the only issue when you, you leave it so late. Mm. There's so little time for wriggle room if you hit one of those sticking points along the way. It does feel to me like maybe Bristol City have got to the point where now they, they don't want numbers at all. It's, it's got to be quality players coming in to strengthen the side. And I think yeah. that's what Lee said, didn't he? That basically mm-hmm. he's happy with his squad. It's only going to be a top target if they come in. So, um, yeah, I, I'd probably agree with that. I think that's something that Adam talked about when we did the Transfer Deadline Day podcast about the quality that Bristol City bring in. Rather than looking for League One, League Two players and building them up and bringing them in, they have brought in that quality this season. So, Adam, to put you on the spot before we move on and talk about the Blackburn Rovers game, when you look at this squad, I remember sitting with you, we were at Swansea City a couple of weeks ago, and we weren't quite sure about the depth in a few positions. What's your thoughts now that the window is done and dusted? I think the only only real position is that that midfield, and hence why Lee was probably looking to to add one more. Um, so as long as this terrible run of injuries doesn't continue in the midfield area, um, I think they're they're well positioned now. Famara Gigi coming back is is a major major boost for City just because he offers such a different option up top, um, wingers wise. Bristol City. Oh, so many. So many. So many. T- you, could, you could throw any couple of names at it. Um, there's so many options for Lee Johnson. And at the back, is Nathan Baker even going to play when he's fit? It's unbelievable, isn't it, um, to be in this situation when Nathan Baker was a shoo-in last exactly, season. Exactly. So in, in every department, um, obviously Frankie's still to come back as well in the goalkeeping situation. Um, I think overall, maybe one extra midfielder would, would help with Corey been out for so long now. But overall, I think the squad has a good strength in depth. Well, on that note then, let's hear what Lee Johnson had to say after Bristol City beat Blackburn 4-1 on Sunday afternoon. And like Adam, he was feeling very positive about the squad situation. And I suppose the positive is, you got to remember, there's four or five players not even made the squad today for various reasons that are really good players. Bailey Wright, club captain, Jens Hegler. Um, you've got Nathan Baker, you've got uh, Moisa, Hakeem Adelukin, you know, so... Uh, not to even mention the young players we've got coming through. So we just like get our head down, really, and, and keep working. That's the message. That's the message, Lee Johnson says, uh, keep working. But for some of those players that we've just heard about there, I mean, Moe's uh, signed from Cheltenham. He doesn't seem... I know you mentioned Liam Walsh, who wasn't the squad on Sunday. But at the moment, three wins on the bounce. You can't break a winning team, can you? So these players aren't going to get a look in. Well, it was actually, you know, I alluded to in my column this week, Gary Johnson... Um, had a had a mantra that you know if you've got the shirt it's yours it's for you to keep hold of if you can play well you'll stay in um, I know it's it's come a long way football now with the amount of games you play um, but at the moment why would you make a change mm-hmm. in, in that starting lineup the, the team have won three on the bounce um, the whole positivity around Ashton Gate at the moment you could understand Lee Johnson just going there's my eleven players next time so for Marajiju. Does he start the next game after the international break? Lovely problem to have, isn't it? Um, for me, no, I'd say stick with a winning team. Um, Even though he came on and scored? Yep. Yeah, I think Matty Taylor was superb, actually, the other weekend. I did as well, yeah. Set up both the first two goals in, in a way, that, I don't know, 
Um, I, so I stick as is and reward the, the team that's winning. And um, yeah, I think that probably does a, a good thing in the dressing room. Then it says like, if you come into the team, you, you, we win, then you keep your place. Well, let's talk more about um, Sunday's win. Then it's a bit weird to be at Ashton Gate on a Sunday afternoon at one thirty, but it was because of a concert, I think, on the Downs. Me and Gregor were pondering this, and someone just tweeted us saying it's because of this concert. Uh, so we're not hip and trendy enough to know about these things, <laughs> and that, that's why it was. Uh, Sunday afternoon worked out very well. Maybe they should play on Sundays all the time, but got off to a bad start. I mean, it's, it's quite. I think it's quite rare that you see someone score direct from a corner. I know that Mulgrew has done this before. For I think it was he at Celtic when he did it before. He did it again on Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful ball, but was Nicky Meinpar, was he held back? Was he impeded in trying to get to the ball? Or was it just confusion in the Bristol City defence? What do we reckon? I I thought, yeah, I think mine bar's got to be a bit stronger there. I looked at it, basically took some still images of the, of the goal and sort of tried to look if he'd been fouled. And I think there might have been a shirt tug from it looked like Adam Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I think Brownie was marking in the middle there. Um, it, it, the the video footage is inconclusive, but basically the keeper's got to be stronger there. And you look where the ball comes into the goal; it's right in the centre. It's of it, unbelievable. So, so yeah, no no guys on the post, but okay, fair enough. Um, it was Jack Hunt at the near post. Maybe he could have reacted a little bit more. But ultimately, I think if the ball comes in at that trajectory, you've got to be looking for your keeper to, to stop Yeah, that. it was just a bizarre moment to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the angle of the keeper as he went down to his, his left as well and it sort of got under his body. <laughs> so where's he going? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't see it as any other thing but a keeper error. Um, but on the same sense you know this guy has come into championship level he hasn't played for a long time while he was at Brighton he's had to wait in the wings and he's produced some some great saves mm-hmm. um some fantastic saves certainly at Ashton Gate um and from yes. there on he was pretty solid yeah exactly and, and he, I think he, he commands his box well mm-hmm. um he, he comes to claim regularly he's not um, a foreign keeper who punches a lot as well which is you know is a real boost in the championship I think um I'd still have Frank Field in when he's fit uh, ahead of him um but Ultimately, he's come in. I think he's he's done really well. Yeah, one error, but what keeper doesn't make an error? I think it's hard, isn't it? I think the keeper's union, I know Matt Murray quite well, and he's always banging on about the goalkeeper's union because when they make a mistake, obviously, it's so costly and everyone sees it, whereas if a striker misses a chance, we forget about it, don't we? Uh, talking of the strikers then, uh, Gregor, you, you mentioned Matty Taylor and how well he did. He, I know it's Andreas Feynman getting the headlines, perhaps, for scoring the goals, but Matty Taylor... He's really on form this season and like you guys said, he probably should be starting against uh, Sheffield United in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I thought the assist for uh, for Marley Watkins' goal as well was outstanding. See, I thought that was a handball for a second, uh, but was it just a deft touch? What did it come off? Well, it just seems sort is of... Is it sort of chest, chest? Chest into him and uh, it was it was inch perfect. Yeah. You know, Marley Watkins didn't have an awful lot to do. It was still a cool and composed finish. But it was just a fantastic cross-in and a, a fantastic assist. And it really, from that point on, Bristol City didn't look back, did yeah, they? Completely and of course, Matty Taylor was fouled for the free kick that Josh Brownhill put superbly was away. He? Well, you know, he'll, he'll say he was. I mean, I think Lee Johnson definitely thought he was. And we'll talk about Lee Johnson's yellow card in just a second. But they were queuing up to take that free kick. I think Eliasson was, was hovering. We know Marlon Pack can hit them. And I was thinking, oh, you've got, you've got to let Marlon Pack have this one, surely. And then Josh Brownhill steps up and does that. So many times we see them fly over the bar, hit the wall, a damp squib, but the technique and the power he got on it was fantastic. Yeah, he's he's got that Ronaldo, um, you know, set the ball up with the valve, hit it through, true with the top of your foot and let it let it wobble and, and go past the keeper. He's got that one to a tee, 
but usually from further out. Mm. I think this one, because it was inside the D on the edge of the box, it was a big wall that Blackburn has set up, but he just didn't do his job. And, you know, and Brown has found the top corner very comfortably. You know, it wasn't top, top corner. It didn't go off the crossbar, off the post. It, you know, the keeper... It was the pace on it, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was just flash past the keeper before he could even move, really. Yeah, and I think Marlon Pack and Josh Brown or maybe had a bit of a dodgy start to the game. But after that free kick, the midfield looked quite assured. And that's quite the partnership building there, isn't it, between Pack and Brownhill? Yeah, um, they eventually got on top there. They had that sticky spell, didn't they, for about 20 minutes. Couldn't uh, find a pass, could they? <laughs> no, um, Lee Johnson said afterwards that that was down to uh, the referee, David Webb, I think it was. And, um, yeah, maybe that, that Taylor free kick um, sort of came towards the end of a, uh, a run of, shall we say, sort of dubious decisions by Mr Webb. Do you think so, the uh, referee felt... Because there was so much pressure building on him. The crowd were on his back, the players were on his back. Clearly Lee Johnson was on his back. That Matty Taylor goes over there and he feels, oh, I need to give this one because maybe I should have given one five minutes ago. Yeah, I do, to be honest. Yeah. So you don't think it was a free kick? Well, no, Adam Baker's shaking <laughs> his head. <laughs> it, was, it was never a free kick. It was, maybe it's one that Matty Taylor's learned from, from more experienced strikers over the years. But uh, mm. he was backing in, he was looking for the free kick. And it's good, you have to say it's good striker play from, from Matty, uh, but it wasn't a free kick. All day long. But if you want to do well in the championship, you have to learn that side to your game, don't you? Because every team does it. You have to look for free kicks in those areas, whether it's right or wrong. Because if everyone else is doing it, you have to do it. It's the marginal gains that Lee Johnson always talks about. Yeah, and, and play, to the, play to the crowd, as Greg has said. You know, the referee may psychologically be looking to even things up over a long period of time. The crowd were getting on his back, getting on his back. And eventually, you know, it's the one that, that cracks. I remember um, Phil Tufnell talking about it when he was bowling. He'd, he'd throw the first one down and it hit sort of near LBW. He'd, he'd appeal for it. Umpire go, no, nah, don't worry about that. And that's ridiculous. The next one, he'd go, oh, umpire, that was closer, that was closer. And you just get it into the mind. So when the third one goes down, come on, umps, that's, that's definitely yeah. up who's a finger. I think, I think a lot of people could learn, I mean, all levels of football could learn from that, that a lot of football is mind games and it's about being having that football brain isn't it and not all footballers have that but Matty Taylor does seem to have that edge to his game and it really seems this season I remember he, uh, I wrote about this in my column that when he came on against Middlesbrough he had that bite he was flying in tackles I think he got booked but he just seems to have that edge to him this season doesn't he and do you think it's that desire to keep the shirt knowing that now Vyman's banging them in that Gigi wants his place is that making him up his game even more? Possibly. I think Matty Taylor, well, he's not really had that run of games as he, where he's been able to show what he can do at championship level. I think he's getting that now. And we've seen it in glimpses in the past. And um, yeah, I always thought this season he was going to get his chance. So uh, yes, it's good for Bristol City, isn't it, having those options. But I just wanted to add in um, that we saw another three goals or so in that game from set pieces. And it goes to show how important those are. Obviously, Brownie, Brownie's Fantastic hit, set piece. First goal came from a set piece. And then Pax one sort of came from a set piece, I think, originally from a corner. From a corner, yeah. Yeah, and then brilliant ball in from Nicholas Lyson. Yeah. Well, we're all being very positive, so let's let Lee Johnson be positive as well. Here's what he had to say, particularly about that second half of the Blackburn Rovers game. It was nice to get the little ups all the time, wasn't it, in the second half? Like, Marley getting his goal, and that would be a big goal for him because... Don't forget, he was out for three weeks. Um, and Marley's a confidence player, you know. It'll, his work rate is second to none. But as far as his in-possession stuff, probably better suited away from home because he needs the space to charge into. So at home, we need to continue to build his confidence and <coughs> make sure he understands the pattern of the team. Um, 
obviously Fam coming back was good. Odalda came on good. Patterson, nice little touches. Um, yeah, so like you couldn't really get a better day at the office if you like, but it doesn't mean that we've cracked it because we're we're far from where we need to be. Far from where they need to be, says Lee Johnson, and I'm sure, even though he said it was a perfect day at the office, he will be revisiting that goal they conceded. But let's just go back to Marley Watkins. I know we just talked about the goal he scored. Was, he, do, he has had a bit of criticism on social media and things like that. Is he the right man to be playing on the wing for Bristol City? I think so. I think there's, um, there's been a bit of criticism of his early performances. I thought it was interesting that he said after the match that he doesn't think he's match fit just yet and so he thinks when he when he is fully up to speed then he's he's going to be putting in some better performances but what i think marley watkins is going to bring is is goals basically and i think he'll be a good um, balance to nicholas eliason who's the only midfielder now of the regular guys to to not score but eliason obviously provides the assist what i like from watkins is he keeps the ball well um, and he looks to me like he's going to score because he's had three or four chances over the last few games where he's just got on the end of crosses maybe could have done a bit better in with some of his finishes and he, he did that obviously at the weekend and I think he's got the scope to get the sort of five to ten goals that City could do with from midfield. Mm, maybe people don't see all the little things he does because I remember in the first half he had some lovely interplay on the wing with Jack Hunt and was holding the ball off quite well and playing it down the wing again. Things like that that maybe people forget about. But should Callum O'Dowda be starting ahead of Marley Watkins, Adam? Because I'm, I'm a big O'Dowda fan. And me and Greg have been discussing this for a couple of weeks. And for me, when O'Dowda comes on, he produces. And I know he's got a bit of the showboating and the stepovers, but he looks strong, he looks fit. So I know Watkins has got that goal now. Maybe he will start against Sheffield United. Who would you start? I think longer term, you'd probably go with O'Dowda, but, you know... If Watkins gets himself fit and gets himself scoring regularly or assists regularly, um, it goes back to that point of having the shirt. And if you're playing well with the shirt, then you keep it. Um, but it is a long, hard season. There's going to be lots and lots of games, injuries, um, people not being fully fit, picking up knocks. So the reason Lee's got so many wingers in the squad is for that reason. You know, if Watkins does hit a bad patch of form, at least he's got an international player, you know, Callum's going off on international duty now, um, to step into the breach and the very Where does this leave Jamie Patterson? Because he was such a key player for Bristol City last season and it's quite odd to see him on the bench coming on for four or five minutes at the end of a game because we know how good he can be. Do you think he's lost confidence by not being in the starting eleven? I guess that's sort of inevitable, is it? I mean, you because Adam, you know these players and you've spent time with them, so... You'll know what sort of character he is. What will be his feelings of, of being on the bench at the moment and being second choice? Well, Pato keeps getting disappointed because I keep beating him at Paul. That's why he's so disappointed. <laughs> That's why probably affected his form. So Can I apologise. I apologise to uh, the Bristol City fans out there. I mean, uh, I'd just like to say he's got no right of reply here. So we're no. taking your word for this that these aren't lies. Well, you can ask him next time you see him. <laughs> um, I think the one thing about Jamie is that he has um, he's lost that a little bit with the success of Matty Taylor and Andreas Feynman because. Lee Johnson opted to start uh, Pato as the man in the 10 role, um, helping out Vyman. When Matty Taylor came in and performed so well, um, all of a sudden Pato's then not playing on the wing because Eliasson's doing well, Watkins doing well, Dowder's a backup to that at the moment. So he hasn't got that wing role to fall back on. And you can't take Matty Taylor and Vyman out of the team. So, so therefore, where does Pato go? Um, so at the moment, it, it's kind of... 
left in limbo, if you like, because he's not going to get into that striking position, especially with Jiju coming back now as well. Mm-hmm. He's almost fallen to fourth striker, if you want to call him a striker. Um, and he's also fallen behind Eliasson and Watkins and no doubt on the wing. So um, I still believe he's one of the most skillful players in the squad. Um, he certainly racks up assists and goals. Um, he's going to clearly have a part to play for Bristol City. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but at the moment, with the team doing well on the pitch, he's just going to have to wait his time. It feels a little while since we've had these sort of conversations, doesn't it, Gregor? Since Lee Johnson has had these selection headaches. So as a manager, how is he going to keep everyone happy for the next few months until the January transfer window opens? And could, if we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but in three or four months' time, could he have players knocking on his door saying, well, I'm not playing enough, so I want to go out? Yeah, possibly, but it's a great problem to have. It's the problem he wanted. And yeah, I agree with Adam there. It's a long, old season. Jamie Patterson's got a, a role to play. I, I think he might be involved in every single game going forward. However, it might be that it's just 10 minutes at the end. You know, I, I think he plays that role really well, actually. Just keeping the ball, winning throw-ins, just flicking off players, defenders' legs, you know. Mm. Um, the last couple of games, he's been brilliant doing that. Um, he's got that skill, obviously, that, that we know about. I... For me, Pato is still possibly the most naturally gifted player in the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if he is a little bit a victim of circumstance. In, in the, as Adam was just saying, they played that number 10 role for the first two games. That was against two tough teams, Nottingham Forest. OK, they, they, they haven't, they're not right at the table yet, but I think most people expect them to climb up that way. And uh, Bolton and, and Bolton have been flying. So, yeah, maybe there's still um, a chance for him to basically capture that number 10 position uh, longer term um, but yeah it's, it's competition for places so great for City yeah, it's all positive at the moment but what wasn't positive was Lee Johnson getting booked on the touchline first time this season since this new rule has come in and uh, here's what he had to say after the game when he was asked about the fine that he might face it's funny because the, the owner come down and said to me right you've got a choice you can either take a forfeit or a fine and I said well can I hear the forfeit before I pay the fine? And he said, yeah, but it costs you more money to do it that way around. So I've got a decision to make. So your first question to Lee Johnson, Gregor, is whether he took the forfeit or the fine. I hope he takes the forfeit. What do you think it might be? No idea. No idea. Um, Adam, we know Lee Johnson gets animated on the touchline. You said you don't think there will be a fine. Well, I, I think... Potentially, he might throw one in, you know, perhaps for charity or something. But uh, will the FA find him? Um, I'm not sure how it works for actually this season with the, the new setup. I mean, it came out quite late, didn't it, before mm. the season actually began, and, and there wasn't a lot of detail sent out uh, by the FA. I think it's a it's a weird scenario. I also think it's a weird scenario that your assistant could get two yellow cards and then you're hoiked off the bench. Yeah, that makes no uh, sense. That, that doesn't really add up to me. Um, but I suppose that. Anything to to lighten the load on that fourth official who has to stand there <laughs> and take verbal abuse in your right ear and then verbal abuse in your left ear, depending on whichever way it's the, the decision's job, gone. It's the worst job, isn't it? Oh, it's a, it must be a terrible job. And there are some of them, you know, I've, I've stood down in the tunnel I was just saying, you've seen, you've heard everything. I've, I've seen fourth officials laughing and joking, um, just to try to laugh it off. And I've seen fourth officials who, who literally just get to the end of their tether and, and not just from both coaches and the coaching staff but the fans you know it's just relentless for that guy thankless task isn't it ultimately can't make the overall decision can he 
No, exactly. You've obviously dealt with Lee Johnson hugely since he came to Bristol City. What's he like after a game in, in defeat and in victory? Obviously, it's a very different mood and Gregor and I see him after both. But, you know, you speak a certain way to the media. What's he like to deal with as a person after games? Well, I dealt with him as a, a player and a, and a head coach. Yeah, of course you did, um, yeah. Over, over my time at Bristol City and he's a, he's a very friendly, nice guy. Um, and... I think he's maybe has learnt again without throwing too many Gary Johnsonisms into this. <laughs> um, you know, Gary had a, a very set way of saying, "Look, this seasons in football are a roller coaster, and you're going to have good times and you're going to have bad times. If you have good times, don't get too carried away," which is what Lee was saying mm-hmm. earlier. And if you have bad times, don't get carried away the other way. And and Lee's had to deal with a number of situations mm-hmm. already in his, his very short managerial career. Um, at, at Oldham, at Barnsley and, and at Bristol City where he's had tough runs of form uh, and he's battled through them and I think he's he's learned that maybe from his dad and from other mm. things he's picked up and from him as a person of how to deal when things are going tough, when it's bad um, and how to ride through that and how to come out the other side of it and you know we've seen it already this season in, in a, a smaller way if you like uh, I read Gregor's stuff the other day Talking about the Middlesbrough, um, the reaction to the Middlesbrough defeat was a little bit over the top. Yeah. I think it's probably um, exasperated by social media. I don't think it was a grand smile. It certainly wasn't booing and jeering all the way through Ashton Gate or anything like that. Um, but yeah, there was you know disappointment after that Middlesbrough game. And don't forget, Middlesbrough probably going to get promoted from this division. So mm. it wasn't a, a terrible performance against a very, very good team. But on the flip side now... I, th- I, I agree with Lee. You know, three wins on the banks is fantastic. It's also fantastic going into the international break because you don't want to be moping around for two weeks without a game. Um, but at the same time, there's lots of work to be done and he's not going to get carried away the other way. Mm. Well, one thing we do hear when Bristol City win, when we walk down the corridors of Ashton Gate, is the Baby Shark song. Uh, Adam pulled up today to record the podcast, had it blasting in his car. <laughs> and here is what Josh Brownhill had to say about why Bristol City love to play that song when they win. Um, the song was put on after the game, yeah. I think we, uh, if we carry on winning, I don't see is, why not. Is that not. going to become a routine? Is that, is that what it is? Or? Um, yeah, maybe. I think there's a, there's a couple in there with... Um, you know, a couple of kids and they they play it and uh, you know got played once and sort of enjoyed it and I think Marlon put it on after the game of um, the last game and you know it's kind of stuck from there. So maybe maybe that will be gets played at the end of each game around Ashton Gate. Would you like to hear that in your ears? Am I, am I just getting older? I mean, <laughs> this is news to me. Perhaps my kids are too old now to, to pick up on this. My, my lad scored two goals at the weekend. He was still doing the Delhi Alley. Um, finger celebration around the eye. That's old now, I um, so Exactly. On. So, you know, this this has passed me by. Uh, more Gregor's cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you uh, found out about this, Gregor, but it does show the sort of group they are. I know they had such a close-knit group and they've been together for quite a while last season, which is something that Aidan Flint talked about before he left. But now this group seems to be getting on pretty well and things like that just sort of add to their camaraderie, don't they? Yeah, we were discussing before the podcast, weren't we, that I had a theory about there being maybe more dads in the dressing room at the moment. I'm not too sure about that, but um, certainly the three guys who left in the summer, I don't think they have, they've got kids, um, whereas there are a few dads obviously in there, Marlon Pack, I think Jack Hunt has got children as well. So uh, maybe it's a, a sign of maybe a bit more maturity in there. I don't, I don't what, you think the Baby Shark song is mature? <laughs> well, well I, it's come from their kids, hasn't it? I, yeah, yeah. I'd imagine, I have no idea. I just found it online a few weeks ago because I don't have kids. But apparently if you've got kids, it's been around for ages. But mm-hmm. 
clearly we've missed this one it's passed us by but there you are that's the anthem for Bristol City for now uh, an interesting choice uh, let's just talk before we go about the international break we mentioned Callum O'Dowder back there he has been called up to go and play for Ireland in this international break uh, all the home nations are in action I think I'm going to go and take in Wales against Ireland which should be good on Thursday evening at the Cardiff City Stadium be interesting to see if O'Dowder makes the team you're probably on the bench wouldn't he Adam you'd, you'd expect uh, if he makes the squad the match day squad do you think he will I think he'll probably make the match day squad um, and I think it's, it's just good for his development again really and, and to go and play with top Premier League players in training uh, he'll certainly enjoy it I think he was speaking on the, the club website today about how much he enjoys when he goes away on international duty it's the, the one of the proudest things you can do isn't it so uh, the fact they've got so many players on international duty uh, is good for the club. Certainly, you know, when the academy players are getting called up as well, it's even better. Mm. Um, so it can only be a good thing as long as they come back fully fit. Well, Lee Johnson, when I was speaking to him after the game, said, you know, even if Andreas Feynman gets a knock, we're not too worried. We're not worried that they're on international duty that we, like we might have been before. I just thought, well, I don't think he quite means that. But his point was they've got the depth at the moment to cover it. Let's talk about England for a second. It was an amazing World Cup. I know, Adam, that you're a massive World Cup geek. And it was just that you look back now, what, sort of six, seven weeks ago, England were in the World Cup, of a, a semi-final of a World Cup, rather. It's just a bit surreal now, isn't it? Do you think that there has been enough positivity going into these games with them? Is it just been that we've been drawn back to domestic football, that we haven't really thought about it? Because it was only two weeks in between the World Cup finishing and the domestic season getting underway. So going into these games, what's the thoughts on England? Well, I think domestic football has, has received a bounce because of England. Um, I saw the EFL putting out about August attendances being up. I think that's solely on the back of everyone having World Cup fever. And once you run out of the World Cup, you know, England are out. What, what do we do next? Well, I go back to my local club and I go and support them and I want to take that football fix and continue it on. So I think domestic football has got the boom from the World Cup and, and the feel-good factor. Um, but this this international break, I think it's because it's the UEFA Nations League and not enough people really understand what it's all about. Uh, almost but it has like bearing a, on qualifying like, it, directly. I don't... It, it kind of does, but I think for the bigger nations, you know, for England, I don't think we'd be... It's um, not as important as for someone like Wales. Correct. Um, and, and certainly if you were down as far as like a Macedonia... Um, that's where it gets really confusing. Well, they're going to qualify. Well, it's one of those nations in the, in the lower echelons is going to qualify for well, the get, Euros. They get to the playoffs, don't they? They get a playoff yeah, place. But, so they, but if... one of them from the, the four pot, the yeah. lowest pot, will qualify regardless. That's their incentive. Correct. But for England, mm. for Spain, mm. for Croatia, they'll feel that regardless of the Nations League, they'll qualify anyway. Um, but in the, in the grand scheme, it's going to be good for fans because there'll be some high-profile games and I don't think you'll probably get as many withdrawals because of that. Um, you know, if England are playing Moldova this weekend in an international friendly or they're playing Spain, followed by, you know, Croatia coming up, I don't think you withdraw as much for those bigger games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's a good thing. In, um, in layman's terms, then, if England do really well in the UEFA Nations League, how does that um, affect their Euro qualifying? Well, they've still got to go through the Euro qualifying process anyway. They've still got to be part of those groups. Um, but ultimately, um, I think that's the way that the majority of the bigger nations are going to qualify anyway. This is more, it's almost like a, a Davis Cup of football, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. You get grouped into you know, the bigger nations, the, the middle, 
there's four different sections. Um, but really, it's it's mainly aimed, I think, about trying to bring up the level of the lower nations. I've said it for a long time anyway, you know, playing the likes of Moldova and Latvia and San Marino, it's, it's a pointless exercise, it really is, for, for both England and also the, the smaller nation. You know, they need to build up and improve... It's never going to be competitive, is it? ...against a, a, level that, a, a level playing field, if you like. So I think it, it will longer term have, have benefits for the, for the lower club uh, lower nations because normally the qualifiers start now but they'll be starting uh, next year next spring won't they for for the qualifying group stage which will be drawn in December correct it's all very confusing this time around we'll get our heads around it uh, Gregor um, I just wanted to add on a slim uh, similar tangent um, maybe about Tammy Abraham a possible England player obviously went to Aston Villa on the uh, last day of the mm. loan window um, I just don't see how that's come about. I'm a bit and sort of, I don't know, a bit peeved that he's ended up at um, Villa because I see it as a bad move for Tammy and a bad move for England. And he comes into this sort of group of talented young players who, who've got to be out there playing. Well, Gareth Southgate talked about this. Didn't yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I just think he's kind of been caught. Um, in the, I don't know, the political side of maybe the, the situation at Chelsea. And I, I know that there was Premier League interest in him, for example, earlier in the summer. Any clubs that you can name? Well, the last one was, I, I don't know if there's any truth in that. Um, in the, um, Tottenham were um, said to have bid for him on the last day. Really? But I know before that, West Ham were definitely interested in him. And I know there was another club interested in him. Um, so he could have been playing Premier League football. Uh, but it seems like he was kind of... Uh, made to stay in house. He was going to get given a chance to play at Chelsea, but that seems to have been taken away now, and it's all a mess. I hear what you're saying, but he signed the contract, so yeah, yeah true. I, I understand that yeah. you know it would have been fantastic for him to go to another Premier League club, but I do think when players sign on the dotted line, they know what they're signing up for. And if Chelsea say, "Well, no, we're not selling you. It's going to be a loan move," mm. then that is partly his responsibility. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but the same token, I mean, A.D. Boothwood as well, uh, England under-21s, said the same, you know, it's going to get to a situation where... It's our, a stalemate, isn't it? Our young England players are going to have to end up going abroad mm. just to get regular top-flight football, if yeah. you like. Uh, and that can, and a few already have. And, a few are, and, and you don't mind a few going off, but what you don't want is a whole no. exodus of our best young players not playing in the top division in your own country. So... It, just before we finish, as a way of solving that then, is do agents need to be putting something into players' contracts to say, look, Tammy isn't getting in the Chelsea squad, he's not getting the starting eleven. There needs to be a clause here where he can leave, he can be sold to a Premier League team instead of just loaning him out. Is that something that agents need to be one, looking at? One, one thing they've looked at is trying to get, um, or looking, yeah, sort of introducing almost B-sides playing in lower down the pyramid. They've looked at that and they've sort of had that checker trade trophy, haven't they, where the England... Well, yeah, sorry, where under-21 sides are coming in. I don't think that's going to work. I've taken I, those games and I don't... I'm not... I, I like the competition and I think it's really great for those players to get the game time, but yeah. it's not the same, is yeah, it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think that's going to work. I think they should look at it the other way and um, basically try and get those players playing, but maybe elsewhere. And, yeah, as you say, maybe... I, I never understand why players don't sign shorter deals and well I guess it's because they want that security they want security didn't they yeah but maybe they need to take a chance and sign maybe a two or a three year deal and say if I'm not playing then I'm going to move on and look at the guys who have been playing elsewhere they seem to have done the business over the summer like mm. Harry Maguire but you need a bit of luck don't you? you you need someone to say yes I believe in you just like Pochettino believed in Harry Kane and, and Deli Alley. 
Yeah, but Hurricane had loan moves before. And they didn't um, work out. And, and, you know, you, you have some loan moves that work and some, some that don't. Yeah. And I think that's the, the situation you talk about with agents and clauses. Everybody's different. Um, so what might work for a Tammy Abraham might not work for somebody else. I, I agree. He's he's fallen into the trap at Chelsea where there's been a new manager coming in. It's looked like he's got a promise of first-team football. That's then come away at the last minute. Outside of the window for Premier League clubs, the only thing he can do is try and get the nearest thing which is obviously a club like Aston Villa who can afford it. Uh, and also means he can come back to Ashton Gate uh, in, inside a month. So he must be delighted about yeah, that. Yeah, it's not how Bristol City fans wanted to see him come back. Uh, guys, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, Adam, I'm sure we'll have you on again in future. It's interesting to get an insight, your behind-the-scenes knowledge to the club. And just so we know, what are you up to at, at the moment? Because it's been a couple of months now since you left Bristol City and I've seen you popping up, doing various things, as well as on our podcast. Yeah, I've done a bit, for, obviously, for the Bristol Post, um, but I've also been working for BBC Sport on a national level um, so in terms of uh, writing stories and, uh, and editing stories for the national website and also for colleagues at Radio Bristol as well uh, and a few other uh, papers so it's just a, a bit of media work in, in the meantime you whether, come over to our side whether it's a, a longer term <laughs> thing I'm not too sure at the moment but I've just been enjoying it see look at this a media officer is now one of us Gregor we converted <laughs> him uh, Gregor thanks for your time we will be back next week looking ahead to the Sheffield United game after the international break uh, hopefully we will see how Callum O'Dowd has fared with Ireland as well of course Andreas Feynman has been called up for the first time in a little while to Austria so hopefully they will come back free of injury and fresh to go we'll catch you next week and if you're listening on iTunes please rate and review us thanks for listening this podcast was sponsored by ELM Legal Services based in Bristol who provide will writing and estate planning services across the UK. A standard single will is £99. You can call them on 0800 019 4557. Robins on the Wire.